Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning we have with us David Bryn. Is that did I say your name right? Burn. 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 Yeah. You know, great, I should have thanks. asked. I should yeah, have it's asked. Okay. But you know, thanks for having me, Lucas. And we have joining us from Texas, Curtis. And Howdy. Hi, I'm Curtis. In... How you doing? Good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm in Southern California. And uh David, you're in Southern California too, right? Yeah, right now I'm in San Clemente, Orange County. So. Oh yeah, okay. That's great. Um, do you have to commute from that from there? We're still to... remote, to be honest, at Santa Monica. We're, I should say we're mostly remote. We're about twenty-five uh, percent on ground, seventy-five percent online. So I'm oh, okay. still remote right now. So, okay, yeah. so Santa Monica is it Santa Monica College or Santa Monica City College? I we dropped the city maybe 15, 20 years ago, so it's Santa Monica College now. Okay, so, yeah. so I'm still living in the double zeros <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah um so santa monica college so you're doing uh, classes through zoom is that correct yeah or, correct okay. Yeah, yeah okay so, yeah i teach western civ there so um history one and two western civ so. someone is still teaching western civ yeah i know yeah, yeah. that's awesome <laughs> yeah. well we brought david in because uh dr B uh burn dr burn is um a history professor and he has written this book uh, on the intellectual history of Ronald Reagan. Um, I want to make sure I got that title right. Tell us what the, again what the, the Ronald uh, Reagan and intellectual history. Ronald Reagan and intellectual history. We're going to link it up in the uh, notes. The, Great, the book. Yeah, okay. uh, it's published by the University of Nebraska, which is an academic publisher. That's quite an accomplishment. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, to publish a book like that with an academic press. Yeah, thanks. Um, and so uh, David and I uh, connected on Twitter a while ago, Correct. and I noticed, uh, could, you couldn't help but notice uh, that uh, the book is featured there uh, in David's uh, profile. And so was this your doctoral dissertation that you turned into a it book? It was not, to be honest. Uh, my background is European history, which is why I teach Western Civ. But, you know, one of the, part of the focus of my book and part of the point of my book is to show how Reagan's and really America's intellectual heritage evolves out of Europe. So, you know, people ask me, why do I study European history? Well, because American history, American philosophy, American thought, American culture comes from Europe. And Reagan epitomizes this. You know, ideas like freedom that Reagan loved, ideas like democracy we all love, even ideas like capitalism, um, you know, even, you know, socialism, these all emerge out of the European context. So, you know, one of the points of my book is to show how Reagan and really American American thought is related to European history. So um, yeah, my, my background is European history. And there's a little bit of European history in the book because I show, you know, how Reagan is the product, at least to some degree of the Enlightenment, right? You know, as you know, as Enlightenment thinkers, he stressed freedom and individualism. So I try to show how these thinkers showed, showed uh, influenced Reagan. Yeah. So if you're uh, watching on YouTube, you can see what I'm, I'm showing. Uh, if you're listening on app, Apple podcast or whatever, then you're not going to be able to see this, but I'm just showing the Amazon page there. Thank you. People, and we'll, we'll link that. Thank you. So um, how did you come up with an intellectual biography idea? For well, Reagan? I, I, I was reading actually Reagan's speech he gave in 1964 uh, when Barry Goldwater was coming for president. It's, it's a classic speech among all Reagan fans. It's sometimes just called the speech or time for choosing. And you know, I realized there's some really interesting political ideas there. And I realized 
that you know Reagan is is a significant thinker in American history. Um, at the same time, I was reading a couple other books about Reagan that contained some of his early speeches, some of his early thoughts, some of his early ideas. Um, and you know, I realized that you have really an interesting here, someone who's been neglected uh, as, as a thinker, someone who's been disregarded as a thinker, you know, as you know, someone who's been called stupid, unintelligent. But I argue that, that you know this is a complete misinterpretation of Reagan. And in fact, he is an important thinker with important ideas for American history. Absolutely. Yeah. That time for choosing speech was an interesting one. I've seen it on YouTube. I, I think a lot of people have now. It was 1964, yeah. is that correct? Correct, correct. Yeah. And he was was he at that time thinking about running for governor? of California? That's a good question. Um, yeah. Well, oh yeah. By, by that time. Yeah. I think so. that's probably when his political aspirations were beginning. So I'd say, you know, people, I'd say that's right around the time that people was that he was beginning to have legitimate political aspirations. So yeah. yeah. Do you think that he used that speech as almost like a campaign for, um, I wouldn't quite go that far. Um, I, I, I think, you know, he definitely be, was tinkering with the idea of running for governor. And I think, um, you know, just the opportunity presented itself and he, he definitely capitalized on the opportunity. You know, the speech was a, a smashing success. The Goldwater candidacy that year wasn't, but th that speech was a smashing success. And it really did la launch Reagan into the, the national political discussion. Goldwater was uh, an interesting figure that year as well. Uh, um, I, I sometimes I, th I wonder if he's been misunderstood. Uh, I don't know what you think about Goldwater and his candidacy as far as uh, that. I mean, they got creamed in the election. Yeah. Um, why do you think that they got creamed in the election that year? Um, I think a lot of it. I think the conventional history wisdom is correct. It was, it was a year after the J the JFK assassination. And there was a lot of sympathy for Johnson for the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, there's tremendous sympathy for Kennedy. And this was his vice president. So I, mm -hmm. I think that is, you know, largely conventional wisdom. And um, I think that is mostly true. And, and of course, as you know, Goldwater was was painted as an extremist. Um, and, you know, some that had an effect too. Goldwater painted himself as an extremist. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, it's definitely true. Extremism in defense of liberty is no vice. So yeah. Yeah, extremism in defense of liberty is no vice. A line written by what? Who do you think wrote that line? Um, I I know Brent Bozel wrote "Time for Choosing." Um, yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a ghostwritten book. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not "Time for Choosing." Uh, Barry Goldwater is a conscious of conservative. Sorry. Um, yeah, the conscious of conservative was ghostwritten. Yeah, but um, I think Harry Jaffa wrote that line and he, oh, taught, okay. he taught at Claremont. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're yeah. right. I think I did read that. Yeah, yeah. I think he's credited with that line. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think he wrote chunks of that speech. Um, but that was, uh, I think, was that that uh, the Cow Palace in uh, yeah. 1964? Yeah, the GOP convention was in yeah. San Francisco. It's hard yeah. for us to to conceive yeah. of that now. Yeah, the yeah, GOP convention in San Francisco, but that was right. like that was uh, yeah. I mean, they used to have gun shows at the Cow Palace until just yeah. a couple of years ago, and that was banned. Um, anyway, but um, so uh, have you been in California long? Is, I have. You, yeah, did you grow up here. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I grew up um, in the Concord area. Um, so yeah, okay. I don't know that area. 
It's I East Bay. Um, it's a little east of San Francisco, so it's East Bay area. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So you've you've been around for a while in California. You've yeah. seen a lot of things change. Yeah, you in know, I, you know, I remember you know George Duke Machen as governor. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm that old. Oh so. wow. Yeah, yeah. You're really dating yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's interesting. Um, all the changes. Um, now, how did you how how did you uh, get interested in history and teaching? Well. Uh, I thought about going to law school, but I worked in a law firm for about six months and I quickly learned that law uh, and the legal field is not for me. So I always enjoyed my history classes. Um, I went to LMU for undergrad and then I love my history class. Yeah. And then uh, I was a history and poli sci major and I transferred to Claremont after that. But I I really enjoyed my history classes. And, um, you know, I, I was I was really inspired by learning, you know, learning about the past because the past is true. Um, I always get a, a, a groan when I tell students this, but, you know, truth is stranger than fiction and, you know, history, it's even better than Game of Thrones. They don't, they don't agree, but I, I think it is. So, <laughs> I agree. <yeah. laughs> it is. Because it's true. It's real. And that's what I like about history. And that's kind of what drew me to the field. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's true. Did you, did you have good history professors at LMU? Yeah, I had a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great college. So, yeah. Well, you taught at LMU. I've taught at LMU for over a decade. Um, yeah, yeah, at yeah. Philosophy, philosophy. Okay, department. cool. Um, and you taught in the history department. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a graduate the- of LMU too. Oh, cool! Awesome. What was your major I did, there? I did a master's in bioethics there. Oh, wow! Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So, we, you know, um, I do love history, and I appreciate. I really appreciate you coming on because. I, like I, I think I just appreciate the historical mind, and when it's done well, right? The, the historical mind of, of trying to understand the past in a right. disciplined way, trying right. to make sense of it, right? <clears throat> what do you think the key uh, class was that you took, or was it a key class that you took that made um, you think? Oh, think I, I, wanna, couple, I, I remember this. taking a okay. political philosophy class. Um, you know, I really liked Rousseau and Locke. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, my, my, my dissertation was about 17th century European intellectual history. So um, my dissertation was about the scientific revolution. So at least in graduate school, I was mostly engrossed in 17th and 18th century European studies. And, you know, that really began um, towards the end of my LMU career when, when I had a political philosophy class. And I remember studying, you know, Machiavelli, Rousseau, Locke, and I really enjoyed studying their ideas. You know, some of their names even appear in my book. Um, so, yeah, so because, you know, like I said, you know, Reagan is a product, like we all are, we're all a product of the past. And, you know, our ideas, our thoughts, you know, we've all been shaped by our past. And a lot of our past lies in Europe. And, of course, Reagan's no ex- exception to that. So. That's right. Let's t- let's look at your outline for your table of contents here. I'm going to pull it up on on uh, Amazon. Yeah. You have the very first chapter, religious roots. Um, when I think of Reagan, I don't think of someone that went to church. I do think of someone who probably prayed, um, may have read the Bible regularly, um, was certainly sympathetic to looking at the world 
from a spiritual perspective? Did he grow up in church? Did he? Yeah, absolutely. He grew up in a very Christian home. Um, his mother now uh, inspired the Christian faith in him. So yeah, generally your, your, your characterization of Reagan is correct as an adult, especially as president. Um, he said as president, he, he didn't want to go to church because he didn't want to cause such a large scene. Um, once he left the presidency, he returned to Los Angeles. He started going to Bel Air Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles after becoming president. But he was raised in a very Christian home, like I said, inspired by his mother now. And um, I think the Christian worldview uh, shaped Reagan a lot, especially, um, you know, his geopolitical philosophy. You know, he interpreted the Cold War, uh, I say, in a Manichaean way, you know, meaning an incredible struggle of good versus evil. So, you know, this entire worldview that he have that he had is rooted in the Christian context and that, you know, there's good and evil, you know, they're vying for supremacy, vying for power. And, you know, in the end, you know, as we know, Reagan predicted the dissolution of the USSR. He predicted the USA would triumph in the U- over the USSR. And I think all of this, you know, at least to some degree, comes from his religious background that in the end, good will win. So, yeah, yeah I think re- religion played a critical role in shaping, especially his geopolitical philosophy. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, there's a view of human nature, which is... Right kind of an explanation for the evil that we see, um, right. especially concentrated in specific areas. But then it's just, it, it is interesting that it's tempered by an optimism right. and, and a belief in the American people as well. Um, what do you think was the source of that optimism? I mean, yeah, how could you look question. at, I think, this, I think to some degree, you know, Reagan is just naturally an optimistic person. You know, you go through okay. life. Some people are just pessimistic. Some people are just more optimistic. I think Reagan just by nature was uh, more optimistic. And you can't, you can't find support for this view in the Bible too. And that, yeah. you know, in the end, God and goodness will triumph. You know, it's only after Titanic, after Titanic conflict, but you know, the Bible does say in the end, good will win. And I'm not sure this will, um, this explains Reagan per se, but I, I think the best explanation is just naturally an optimistic person. So. Well, if you remember our first Armenian governor in California, yeah. then you, you remember the Cold War. Yeah, of course. Because he was he was governor during the eighties when yeah, Reagan yeah. when Reagan was president, right? Same yeah, yeah. same yeah, time yeah. period, right? Yeah. Duke Ma- How do you say his name? Duke Duke Majin. Or- Duke Majin. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't move to California till. 1993 when uh, pete wilson was governor i just saw him the other night by the way oh cool at the reagan library (laughs) so um um it's funny he doesn't seem to age he looks the same he just looks (laughs) the same uh it's it's, i wish i had that issue but um i look way different than i did when i was five i just you know i just have this issue of aging it's just anyway um well, the uh, Cold War was, uh, you know, I, I tell my students, we really were concerned about the Soviet Union. Of I mean, course. Yeah, Red yeah. Dawn. Red Dawn yeah, was yeah, a I real thing. That, that, that yeah, movie. Yeah. Uh, the idea that it was probably less in the 80s than it was like in the 60s. Uh, the fear of nuclear annihilation. Yeah. But it was, if you just sat there and thought about all these nuclear weapons yeah. that they had and that we had, right. and it was mutually right. assured destruction. Right. It would be, 
you could make a case that it would be kind of hard to have an optimistic view of that. Yeah, that's true. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So and yeah, it, you know, you know, Reagan, you know, he, he has kind of a reputation of someone who tried to escalate, um, you know, the arms race. And, you know, it definitely is true. He did do that. But, you know, Reagan was as, as, was as afraid as nuclear war as everyone else was. So, you know, he, he was horrified by the prospect and he did wor- he did worry about the prospects, too. So. Did Nancy agree with him on all this stuff? Was she. That's a good question. Generally, you know, in terms of his Cold War policies, um, yeah, she was more on on the sideline. Nancy's biggest influence was kind of in a lot of the day to day stuff of running the White House. So, yeah, maybe a little bit domestic policy, but I, you know, foreign policy, um, she definitely um, was a secondary figure. So, yeah, her, her influence was Seymour and some of the day to day. Uh, running of the White House, as long as at least when he was president. So, yeah, yeah um, I, I developed a view that Nancy was a little bit more liberal than than he was. Um, maybe we should define some terms because your chapter two is from liberal to conservative. Right. Um, when you use those terms, what do you mean by it? That's a good question. I use those terms in, in the 21st century American context. So, you know, I do t- I do bring up the concept of classical liberalism in my book. Um, you know, I would generally classify Reagan as, you know, modern conservatives, more classical liberals. When I use the term in the book, um, you know, I mean, some, uh, you know, an FDR supporter, as you know, Reagan began his political career as, as a lover of FDR. He, he supported the New Deal and he voted for FDR all four times. Um, so, you know, I use the term liberal in that sense, you know, a, a Democrat in the 1930s. Um, so, yeah, you know, that, that of course, epitomizes Reagan. Well, spoken like a true historian, um, I think a lot of people are listening to this and they're going through their Rolodex in their mind and they're like, wait, hold on. New deal. Hold on. What was that? What was the new deal? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the new deal was the Democratic Party. Let's just say it was the Democratic Party's response to the great depression sure and um the republicans were not very popular at that time um they opposed isn't this true they opposed the new deal generally yeah the new deal was what are the major features of the new deal well you know there's the tennessee valley act um you know there's 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 the cwa um well like in turn, not in terms of what the statutes are called, but like what inf- it gives us social security. It's it's a massive invent- intervention into the economy, right? Regulating things like minimum wage and right. the maximum work week and out forty hour work week, right? You know, at the time is mostly a lot of it's designed, of course, to provide jobs. You know, during um, during the Great Depression, and so a lot of government works programs too. So yeah. But it, I mean, in terms of uh, uh, creating administrative agencies in the government, in the executive branch of the government that had never existed before. Right. It was obviously the, the expansion of government. Absolutely. Yes. Radically expanding the government uh, as a manager of the economy, basically, uh, right. la- labor uh, specifically, but also providing what was called a social safety net, um, which is something like uh, what we have, what we call um, what we call social security, right? Which is, 
which was sold very differently back then than it is the reality is now. Right. Can you tell us a little bit of how it's different from how it was originally sold? Well, yeah, it was originally uh, intended to be, you know, a lot of these were intended to be temporary measures and some of them were, but, um, yeah, you know, it was originally, you know, to help, to help the needy, um, Sorry, my gardeners are here. Can you hear that? Or can you hear yeah, the buzzing? Or, oh, sorry hear, about yeah. that. My gardeners are here. That's all right. But them, um, bring them in. Let the, let's, yeah, exactly. Let's talk. Can join what do they think about today. the new deal? Yeah, yeah. How's the new deal working? Yeah. But, you know, what Reagan, what Reagan always said is he didn't necessarily oppose the new deal per se. It was really the great society that emerged in the 1960s that Reagan opposed. Mm-hmm. Because it was really the, a lot of the new deal was wiped away after during World War II. But what really saw the blowing up of government uh, was the Great Society. And what Reagan said is, you know, the New Deal, Reagan, Reagan's family benefited from the New Deal. His family accepted, you know, New Deal opportunities, New Deal money. But what changed during the 60s is the Great Society and the expansion of government, um, the expansion of these, a lot of these, these, these programs that really became almost, you know, permanent features of American life. You know, the New Deal is attempted to be a temporary measure during a time of crisis you know the great society you know the american society wasn't wasn't struggling in the 1960s during the great society and it's it's really the great society that reagan rejected more than the new deal okay so the my understanding of the great society in the 60s this is johnson right um was that it took the new deal and put it on steroids basically yeah i think that's fair to say you know, that, that's what Reagan opposed, you know, it, yeah. it, it, you know, tremendously, it, it, it increased the scope of government even more. And what Reagan would say is to people who didn't even really need the help, right? Again, we're not in the midst of the Great Depression. Um, you know, unemployment isn't 30 percent. So, you know. So the Great Society was a war on poverty. Right. right. We need right. a war on poverty. That's my best LGBT. <laughs> um, Medicare. Right. Medicaid, Medicaid and Medicare at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you I mean, that's a huge thing right there. Providing government run health care. Right. Um, now you're starting to look like some of those communist utopias that we were worried about. Like right. that's what they are trying to do. That's what right. they're saying they can do. They can manage the economy from the from the Moscow yeah. or from Hanoi. Or from Ber- uh, Berlin, or what was the capital of uh, Germany at that time? Was it Berlin still? Oh, um, East East Berlin was that the capital of East Germany? Um, yeah, yeah. There's East Berlin, and then West Berlin was um, um, it's escaping me. Yeah. Um, well, was- I know that there was an issue there in the early '60s. You know where we had to save west berlin but yeah i I was just i wasn't sure what the capital was at that time but anyway after post-world war ii germany was split and now i it's i think it's fair to say that reagan was was he always a anti-communist that's a good question too um he did he did flirt with 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 communism very briefly in, in the thirties. Um, but yeah, you know, he was, he was very, you know, meaning, you know, he attended, he attended some communist meetings. Um, but you know, that was the extent of it. Yeah. He was, he was, he was almost always very anti-communist. So yeah. Um, even, even as a Democrat, you know, he's very anti-communist and, you know, that's one of the things that helps explain his shift 
is that after World War II, a lot of Marxists came from Germany and began entering the Democratic Party. And, you know, today we think of, oh, you know, the Democratic Party is, you know, the super liberal party. But, you know, as you know, there's even today, there's still conservative Democrats. Um, so what happened after World War II is a lot of Marxists came from Germany, entered the Democratic Party, and the Democratic Party begins to have a Marxist side to it. And this, too, helps inspire Reagan to leave the Democratic Party. So and that, and that um, happened yeah, during what what? When after world war ii during world war ii after world war during world war ii after world war ii so yeah okay yeah. So, um because yeah. reagan was a registered republican well he was even a registered democrat during most 1950s i don't think he formally changed his uh his his party until about 1960 um in 1950 he campaigned um against richard nixon uh against a woman named helen douglas when he ran for um, Senate. So Nixon ran for Senate in 1950, Reagan opposed him. In 1960, Reagan supported the Nixon presidency as of course, Republican president. So it was way during the fifties that his, his political views, political ideology began to shift. And as I suggest, you know, part of that is because, you know, the democratic party begins to have more of a Marxist influence. So. Hmm, that's very insightful. Uh, I love those bookends. He wow. he was against Nixon when he was running for Senate, and then um, he uh, supported him for president just ten years later. Correct. That's, correct. That's quite a change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you don't want him to be senator, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I think he'd be a good right. president. <laughs> right. <laughs> Better right. than John Kennedy. Yeah. Well, John Kennedy was a anti-communist too is that fair of course he was yeah yeah but you know there's there's a letter that uh, reagan wrote um but i I think he might have been an editorial for the new york times and um you know he describes you know kennedy as kind of a neo-marxist so you know we in this letter you kind of see reagan's uh awareness of the rising marxism and he begins to you know apply the term um at least you know to to someone like like kennedy so you know it's probably not really true but you know reagan was beginning to move you know so far to the to the right he's beginning to see you know you know marxism and someone like kennedy so okay um now when you say the word conservative you mean that someone opposes the new deal or um, at someone this who time, opposes. Yes. Yeah. This time. Opposes. Yes. Conservatives definitely oppose the new deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And someone who would oppose Marxism. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, those people would be labeled like fascists or something like that. Um, by, to some by degree the, by their opponents. Yeah. Some of the yeah. reactionaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That. Seems like a, of course, that's a tar and feather kind of thing because the fascists were like socialists, right? They yeah, were- <laughs> of course. You know, one of the things, yeah, you know, you know fascists, you know, there, there are some, there's a lot of similarities between fascism and communism and socialism. You know, part of the reason that, that the Soviet Union and um, Nazi Germany end up in the same place as these awful totalitarian societies mm-hmm. is because, you know, to some degree they begin from the same place. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, that's they're really talking- insightful. That's really insightful because yeah, they're, they're- Germany. Germany sneezed and it was communist. <laughs> it was right, like, right. At least East Germany was. Yeah. So, you know, these, these are collectivist societies, you know, yeah, they, they yeah. subordinate your individual rights and liberties. Um, you know, they're both, you know, products of 19th century Germany. Um, you know, Marx, of course, his ideas are the foundation for the Soviet Union. You know, he's a 19th century German. Hitler, obviously, you know, although he's born in Austria, you know, he's influenced by these 19th century ideas too. 
And the common bottom of these 19th century ideas is that they're rejecting um, what today, what we would call classical liberalism. So the classical liberalism that is about individual rights, individual freedoms, capitalism, democracy, voting, you know, these these 19th century German philosophers, thinkers, writers opposed. And these these people all, you know, lead to both Marx and Hitler. So, again, you know, they're they're more collectivist. Do you think of Reagan as an intellectual? Um, I don't know if I go that you'd have to, you know, broaden the, you know, again, how do you define the term? Um, you know, if you divide, if you define it as someone who's interested in the world of ideas, absolutely. Right. Reagan uh, was very interested in ideas. That's part of the point of my book. You know, he read political philosophers. Um, he had his own political ideas, as, as my book shows. So if you define an intellectual as someone who's, who has a tremendous fascination with ideas, then absolutely. Ronald Reagan certainly loved ideas. So, but, you know, again, uh, how do you define intellectual? So. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, he he did seem to be a thoughtful person. Uh, he doesn't seem to be somebody somebody who sits around and thinks um, uh, about careful distinctions every day. But right, he, yeah. So he's not like uh, you know uh, an ivory tower kind of a person. Right. But um, he seemed to be. Um, for individual rights. I mean, how close was he with Goldwater? Goldwater, I think, opposed yeah, the 1964. Yeah. Goldwater yeah, opposed the 1960. Yeah, they were pretty similar in outlook. I think Reagan was just a little softer. He was more congenial. Um, you know, he's just likeable. a much more like. Yeah, yeah, he's just a much more likable figure than, than you know. Reagan was someone that at least he seemed like you could trust him. So. Well, he comes off very strongly in the time for choosing speech, right? Right. He, he's very passionate there. Right. I don't right. recall Absolutely. him cracking any jokes or anything like that. He definitely That's, wasn't doing it. Yeah, not that. in that speech. Absolutely. But, but at the same time, he could, you know, he had a sense of humor. So, you know, he, he had a softer side in that speech, you know, that 30 minute speech. Absolutely. But he did have a softer side. Of course, you know, he was, he was a somewhat famous American actor, too. So, you know, most of the American people, you know, knew of Reagan even before you know, he ran for governor. You know, today we, we forget that, you know, Reagan was an actor and sometimes he's denigrated. They call him a B actor, but he had, you know, name recognition across the United States. You know, most Americans knew who Ronald Reagan was. So. Yeah. And that's huge for politics. Just name recognition alone is, is yeah. a huge, huge thing. Um, when he ran for governor in 1966, his major opponent was, do you recall? Uh, Brown. Yeah. Uh, so Pat, Brown Pat was Brown. going for was Brown was going for a third term. Um, either second or third, I forget, but yeah, it might have been a third term. Yeah, a second it or would, third. I, that would have been a third term, I think. Yeah. Okay. Pat Brown yeah, yeah. served for two terms back to back. Um, then Reagan, and then his son Jerry Brown served two terms back to back. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it was Duke Magian. Uh, which I, I can't say his name. I know the lineage. Duke Majin. I, Duke yeah, Majin. Yeah. And then it was Pete Wilson. Then it yeah. was Gray Davis. Yeah, yeah. And then Gray Davis was terminated. Right. Um, by the governor. And yeah. uh, then it was, uh, he won re-election, Arnold. And right. Next thing you know, Jerry Brown is back. <laughs> what? Yeah. What in the world? For two more terms. Yeah. That guy, four terms. He's like the FDR of, of yeah. California politics. 
or yeah. he's like the tur- he's like the real terminator he just won't die you know yeah. i mean he's like this uh this <laughs> this uh, robot that keeps coming and then it was uh, newsome sorry I, I, i'm i'm kind of a nerd i'm a politics no, that's nerd. okay yeah california politics so. well you know i'm i'm not born here but I, when i got here I, I loved it so much certain parts of it but there was other parts of it that i just didn't understand i was like this is such a puzzling state for it seems like there are so many people in california that that have common sense and from my perspective anyway it's like the state goes crazy and i i don't understand that i'm still trying to understand how the state that could elect ronald reagan seems to be going so differently than back then but i guess it has been a while i mean it's been since the 60s it's been since vietnam how did reagan feel about vietnam about vietnam yeah about um, i mean that's part of the cold war so yeah um he 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 called vietnam a noble cause um so he definitely supported vietnam um you know he was one of the conservatives who argued that you know the problem with vietnam is we didn't use enough force you know we sent our men there to die but, you know, we didn't, you know, equip them with enough power. So, you know, he called Vietnam a noble cause. He supported Vietnam. He just ended up with a position that we didn't give our men the proper tools, the proper backing, the proper support, really enough power. So that was Reagan's position on Vietnam. So, yeah. so um, that that would have been a standard Republican view, I think, of, of Vietnam. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Out, of the, out of any kind of out of line with nixon well right. i don't know i mean i'm not sure well yeah no that's the nixon did not give him enough backing enough support enough power so yeah he so yeah okay so that would have been a criticism of nixon uh, so yeah and ford too you know as one of his you know as you know reagan ran for president in 1976 challenging yes. the ford campaign um mm-hmm. yeah and that was one of his critiques because generally you know nixon and of course um um, Henry Kissinger and Ford, they generally supported the detente policies. Detente meaning relaxation of tensions, you know, let's be friends with the communists, um, you know, let's try to sign peace treaties, let's reduce our nuclear arsenal, you know, epitomized by salt treating treaties, strategic arms limitation treaties, um, you know, all this means, you know, reducing uh, nuclear weapons, which in theory means reducing nuclear tension, but this is what Ray, this is what Reagan opposed. So he did, you know, there was not universal agreement among Republicans of how to deal with a communist threat um, in the Vietnam and post-Vietnam era. Like I said, you know, there, there's Nixon and Kissinger and Ford who are preaching detente, um, you know, relaxation of tensions, uh, reducing military spending. And there's someone like Reagan who says, no, 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 that isn't the correct policy. You know, we need to continue hardline policies against the Soviet Union. So. Yeah, detente. I, mean, I appreciate you uh, defining detente for people because I, I think a lot of people don't know what detente means. It's a technical term that means, usually in the context of the Cold War, that it means that um, that you want to basically chill out and not become aggressive, um, so in hopes that they're going to do the same thing, right? Do I have that right? right? Basically, detente. yeah. You know, Reagan, Reagan joked that detente is what a farmer has with his turkey until Thanksgiving. So, yeah. <laughs> how did you get Paul Kangor's uh, 
I don't, I don't know how to say his last name. Oh, Kengor. Paul Kengor. Yeah. yeah um, I, 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 um, I just sent him a note. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And Have you read like, his work? Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm familiar with him. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert in Reagan by any means, but there's a, there's a, what do you say that, what do what would you say the best biography of Reagan's is besides yours? <laughs> That's a good, you know, to be honest, I find the most insightful one to be Edmund Morris's Dutch. Um, it was criticized when it came out um, because it kind of, you know, it creates mythical, mythical characters. Um, you know, it's one of the most famous biographies, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years, Edmund Morris's Dutch. Um, so it did receive its fair, fair criticism was panned um, by even a lot of Reagan experts, but it's, it's, it's very insightful. You know, again, if there's one biography to really understand Reagan, I really think Dutch it, it, uh, succeeds in that. Um, and of course, you know, his, his, his leading biographer is uh, Lou Cannon. Um, you know, he wrote a book. He's written several books about Reagan. So uh, one's called The American um, or, I'm sorry, Role of a Lifetime by Lou Cannon. So the two leading biographers of Reagan are Lou Cannon and Edmund Morris. Uh, Lou Cannon is Role of a Lifetime. Edmund Morris is Dutch. And, and they're both great. So in my opinion, like I said, Morris's book got panned, you know, by the experts uh, when it came out. Um, when it came out, I think the early 2000s, maybe. Um, but, you know, I, I found it very insightful. Just trying to understand Reagan the man. So... And, you know, Reagan was a mysterious figure. And, you know, some of some of Edmund Morris's critics said that, you know, Morris couldn't really get a grasp on Reagan. You know, that's why he had to resort to, you know, introducing fake characters into the book. Um, you know, Reagan was a mysterious figure. Um, but, you know, that's one, of the, one part of the point of my book is what I try to argue is that if you really want to understand Reagan, you know, Reagan famously, it's been said, you know, no one really understood him. But I, but I argue the key to understanding Reagan is understanding that he's an idea man first. You know, he lived in his mind. He loved ideas. And if you, if you portray him through an, through an intellectual history lens, one who focuses on ideas, you really have the best grasp on Reagan. If you try to view him, you know, through a personal lens, you know, just as a person, um, you know, he's going to baffle you. But, you know, his ideas, you, you get the best insight to Reagan, the person. So. Oh, that's an that's an interesting insight. When did you first have that insight? What was um, it? What were I, you I, reading? <laughs> yeah, because you know, before I started studying Reagan as, as an intellectual figure, you know, I was kind of baffled by him too. I didn't feel I didn't have a good sense of him. But you know, when you understand his ideas, specifically his ideas about freedom, um, you know, individual rights, his idea that freedom is a universal value, democracy is a universal value, one that can be spread even to Eastern Europe, the Soviet Union, you know, then Reagan begins to make more sense. So. So in other words, you can't explain Reagan in terms of socioeconomics. Correct. Completely. Correct. Um, Even politics, you know, it's okay. first and foremost um, ideas, you know. So, yeah. So he switches from Democrat to Republican, not because he some some Democrat really he made him angry and I'm right. never going back. Right. It was it was that the. The ideas didn't with what he thought America Correct. really was. Exactly. As, you know, of course, you know, he's a patriot too. You know, he obviously he loved America. And, you know, for him, he says, you know, America is an idea. You know, he's, you know, America, you know, yeah. we're not like other countries, you know. Yeah, I can't yeah. move to France and become a Frenchman, you know, but you can come to America and, you know, become an American. And that's one of the things he loved about America is, you know, America represents an idea, an ideal, specifically the ideal of liberty and freedom and democracy. So, and, and we have to be careful that the government doesn't 
uh, undermine that idea. The American government is itself possibly a threat to Wait, that, argue that. Yeah, you that know, idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that was actually, you know, to kind of bring this to more present day, that's kind of one of the themes he introduced to the Republican Party that Trump, you know, picked up was that this idea that, you know, there's kind of two different classes, two different groups. You know, there's the Washington, D.C. bureaucrats, you know, and they're kind of our opponents. They're fighting against us, Reagan said. So, you know, we need to shrink government, reduce the power of Washington, D.C., and instead give power back to the people. And, you know, to some degree, Trump picked up on these themes, too. So. Um. Yeah, when I think of Trump versus Reagan, there's a there's a couple of contrasts. One is that um, Trump seems less of an idea man to me, oh, yeah. but he also seems more caustic in terms of his personality. Absolutely, he's um, Reagan was so like there's there's something you can look on YouTube reagan's humor where it's like you know segment of segment of him kind of jibbing and uh, ribbing uh i guess is the word i want to use uh his democrat opponents and sometimes it's self-deprecating um, right seems like um and he he was he was very congenial it seems like i mean he would get people to laugh he would get like um <laughs> Uh, I, I could have swore I saw in the 1984 uh, Mondale thing exchange where he got Mondale to laugh. Right. Um, so, but at the same time, I'm old enough to know that Reagan was hated and it's hard for people to understand that he was hated. Um, I remember my teachers hated him yeah, yeah. in public school and I, not all of them, but there, there were some vocal teachers I had, like an even in eighth grade, and I, I yeah. just didn't understand that. I was like, yeah. well, "Why do you hate this guy? I don't get it." Yeah. What do you? Why do you think that Democrats hated him? Yeah, um, I think to some degree, you know, he was portrayed as an extremist. You know, he did want to renew the Cold War. Um, you know, for 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 Democrats, they did see him not just as a political threat, but a threat to the world. You know, he certainly did. You know, step on the gas when it came to the arms race. You know, he did it increased not just military spending, but you know, he wanted to increase you know nuclear spending. You know, he resisted any attempts to to um, you know scale back um, nuclear bombs, and he, at least initially, right? He changed his he changed his position in the middle of the eighties. But you know, they, they did see him you know rationally or irrationally. Uh, someone as a man who could literally bring the end of civil to the end of civilization. So, yeah. well, he did run, I believe on abolishing the department of education, Yeah, which I found out later, but yeah. I was, I didn't know yeah, that. That had, just been, that had just been created. Yeah. That had just been created. I, I think it was under Jimmy Carter that it, that it was, that it was elevated to a federal uh, cabinet position. So yeah, you know, that was actually still a new position, the department of education. So back then it wasn't as radical as it is today, you know, because it had only been around for a few years. So, yeah. I personally would have no problem <laughs> abolishing the Department of Education. When I tell my students in LA that the um, the Department of Education is basically four thousand bureaucrats, that yeah. are six figure bureaucrats, not a single one of them is a teacher. 
not, which is kind of our Orwellian, you know, it's like the, the, the amount of money that goes into that bureaucracy that could be in classrooms across America with like going to teachers, you know, like, I don't know about you, David, but uh, I think that teachers could be a paid a whole lot more. I think it's kind of a struggle to make it in, in LA for teachers, professors as well. Um, we're not well supported, especially with gas prices going up with adjuncts. Adjuncts are really paying for it. And um, yeah, so that's that's my view on it. Um, and uh, I'm not really sure what good the Department of Education does. But in any case, I think it's interesting that it never happened. Uh, Reagan got elected and lo and behold, the Department of Education is still around. Right. And um, I'm not sure how to interpret that. I don't know if that he just gave up the fight or if the fight was the, the uh, bureaucracy, what, what uh, maybe some people call the deep state, which is just right. another term for the bureaucracy is, is a yeah. political actor and it right. can defend itself. What do you think? Um, yeah, that, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, you know, in the end, you know, the bureaucracy won. You know, as, as Trump, you know, constantly pointed out, you know, the, the bureaucracy is very powerful. And, you yeah. know, it's maybe to some degree he learned. And, you know, you know, Reagan has a quote that basically says, you know, no, no government program ever voluntarily abolishes itself. So, you know, yeah. and once, once a government program begins, this gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more powerful, more powerful, more powerful. Yeah. And, you know, that's certainly true with, you know, the, the, the Department of Education. So. Well, yeah. And even with the entitlements, like the, the most of the federal government is just transfer payments, uh, entitlements. A lot of people don't know this. It's at least two thirds of the federal budget is just transferring money from one person to another. And the government takes a chunk of it for itself. You know, there's an extraction of a fee. Right, exchange because, rate, yeah. yeah, because the government has to pay for its sedans and its cell phones and keep the lights on and, and right and, and that's you know, exactly what reagan said yeah especially with something like welfare you know reagan used the point you know what's not you know all this money that we're spending on welfare well most of it isn't really going to help the poor like you said you know most of this is going to help the, you know feed the, the bureaucracy yeah. so and those people have very good jobs they have a lot that they they the, the tax money supports huge salaries for these people. I mean, Washington, D.C. is an incredibly expensive place to live. It's one of the most expensive cities in America. And and some of the Virginia suburbs and Maryland suburbs around it are, are some of the most expensive places to live in the United States. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people don't understand that the, the government doesn't generate its own money. It, it needs money from private citizens private corporations and stuff like that that have their own wealth generated in the economy meeting needs from people in a free exchange um the government takes from that in order to provide stuff and so you have to keep your eye on whether that's going too far whether that's to what extent that government is starting to take now more than it really deserves or more than it's useful for it to take for everybody. So I think uh, when I think of Reagan, I think of someone who had his eye on that and he was like, okay, this is, you got, and I, to me, I, I can't separate that from the cold war issue right. uh, and the, and the Marxism issue, because when I think of like what you said, collectivism, right. collectivism versus individual rights and individual liberty do you think that Reagan, to what extent is he 
does he deserve credit for the end of the Cold War? I mean, you know, that's a good question. Historians continue to ask that question. And certainly his reputation, his significance has, has grown over the last 20 to um, generally, you know, he deserves at least some credit, you know, historians would argue anywhere from some credit to a lot of credit, uh, specifically, you know, what, what the sources from the Soviets show is that they were influenced by the military buildup. You know, it's certainly true that Reagan invested heavily in the American military in the early, uh, 1980s and, you know, what began to come out of the, the Soviet union, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands is that you know, the Soviets were greatly worried about the military buildup. And, you know, as Reagan predicted, you know, what it did is it showed the Soviets how inferior they were, um, at least in military spending. You know, that, that was critical in the Cold War. As you know, you know, the arms race was a critical portion of the Cold War. Arguably, the arms race defined the Cold War. And when the, so when the Soviet Union realized they were unable to keep up, they recognized that, you know, some sort of major reform, specifically Gorbachev recognized some major reforms had to begin to occur in the Soviet Union. So, you know, it wasn't a coincidence that Gorbachev in the mid 1980s starts talking about, you know, democracy, voting, change, um, you know, right after Reagan's military buildup and his, his investment in the American military. Because like I said, it showed the Soviets that, you know, their system was faltering. It could not keep up in the central Cold War component. Something had to change. Well, you've given us a lot to think about here and we really appreciate you writing the book. Um, again, it's called Ray, Ronald Reagan and Intellectual Biography by David Byrne. Yes. And David T. Byrne. It's available on the Mississippi, the Nile, the Ganges, or whatever other river you want to buy a uh, book from. Yes. And um, we we know that you got to go and we got to go. And right. we're sad to leave so soon. We'd love to talk about what it's like with your teaching in L.A. and what what the kids are like these days. I call them kids. They You probably don't call them. Kids. Yeah. But, um, yeah. OK. Yeah. Well, thanks for thank, having me, Lucas. It was great. Yeah. Thanks, David. It was great to connect with you. Cool. Well, have a good day. We'll talk again.